All right, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to Questions You Never Thought to Ask, the Whitewater Kayaking Podcast. Before we get into this week's episode, which I think you're going to find uh, exciting and informative, just want to say a quick thank you, shout out to people who support this podcast on Patreon. Patreon's a crowdfunding platform where you can chip in a couple of bucks every month. You get to hear the episodes early before they come out, and you get to keep the uh, the lights on and keep things running here, which is uh, useful for the continuation of the podcast. So. Uh, appreciate that if you're able to support it it's uh, patreon.com slash seth ashworth go over there check it out and this week i've got a a young man who you will no doubt have seen if you follow kayaking on instagram uh he paddles a green boat which is definitely the video you're gonna have seen him in he's recently been uh backwheeling everything and cobra flipping everything um very creative with his downriver freestyle kayaking and I've known him for a long time, and I've been trying to organize this podcast for a long time. So I'm excited that we're finally getting it done. Welcoming to the show today, Kalen Friedenson. Am I saying that right? Yeah, that's right. Kalen, um, you're, you're a young lad. Um, not everyone's heard of you. So why don't you start us off with uh, how old are you? Where are you from? And when did you start kayaking? Yeah, so I'm an 18-year-old kayaker from Washington, D.C., um, I pretty much grew right, grew up next to the river. Um, my dad used to kayak a little, and he kind of just got me on the water as much as possible, and I kind of fell in love with the sport there. And how old were you when you started? I would say I think I got my first boat when I was around three or four, um, but wow. I was in my dad's lap before that. On the what river. was your first boat? I think it was an Axiom. What was the first boat you can remember paddling? Yeah, I think it was a small axiom. Small axiom. Small, some kind of small like kids' dagger boat. I can't remember what it's if it was actually an axiom or something like that. Now, eighteen years old. What did that mean? You were born in two thousand four. Then three. Wow. Just gonna let that sink in for some of the older people listening here. <laughs> um. So it's really interesting, Caitlin. You're part of this generation of kids that grew up with like boats and equipment made to be their size. Like when I learned to kayak, I was like probably 13 or 14. And I had this uh, really old perception dancer and it had like little plastic foot pedals. And they, you know, even at the shortest setting, you know, I, it kind of wasn't really the right size for me. But you're part of this new generation now of, of kids who have had kids kayaks from the very start. And they've had like paddles that are the right size. Not like I had this like big monster uh, like aluminium plastic paddle that was super heavy and it had a 90 degree offset. Um, and progression's obviously a lot slower when you are trying to overcome those like gear things. So it's really interesting to see um, people of your generation who are, who've had access to like kind of good equipment from the get go. Um, I guess that's probably not something you would have thought about that much like when you were growing up. Yeah, I guess I I didn't really have to think about it too much, but I I was definitely aware that you know people who are older and they they don't have the the smaller kayaks when they were younger. But I definitely think it's really nice having gear that fits you because then obviously you're using the best equipment you can to to get better and improve. Yeah, and I think also you probably had access to more like dry tops that were your size uh, and you know helmets that were your size and stuff like that, right? Like so it was. You you had a a pretty long paddling season. Yeah, exactly. I was I was able to have the gear that I guess I needed to be comfortable and happy on the water when I was younger, which really made it easier to just be out on the water more. 
And so that is probably part of the re thing we can attribute to some of your success here is that you had just had access to like better fitting gear. So you're able to progress more, but you paddle, you've been paddling really a lot, like since you were pretty young, right? Like probably I first met you when you were like 12 or 13, I guess, Akinas. Yeah. Um, so tell us about what, like roughly, how did you, your like trajectory of, of like learning to paddle start? Like obviously you're from Washington DC. So your home river is the Potomac. Yeah, the Potomac rivers is basically, I guess I, I moved when I was around 13 or 14 and now I can walk to the river. It takes about five minutes um, from where I train slalom. And were um, you training slalom like with the local club or like what, what's your deal there? Kind of what I'm looking for is like walk us through uh, how like how you're progressing as a like a young teenager. Like how, how did you make those progression steps to where we're at now? And then we'll talk about where you're at now. Yeah. So it's mostly just been growing up next to the river and just having that river there and basically getting out as much as I can. I have a, a local club. Um, now it's right. They practice right where I live. So there's a coach, a slalom coach, and I go out after school. I was going out before school when I was younger. Um, and then just really getting out on the water as much as I can. I kind of was just in love with the water. So it was just kind of what I like to do. So I, I would always try and get out. And then as I grew up, just traveling around, I, my dad would always take me down to North Carolina for different events and getting that different type of whitewater. Um, in and primarily when you were younger, you were doing a, a, a mixture of stuff like racing slalom and doing freestyle stuff? Yeah, I've pretty much had a hard time picking one. So pretty much since the beginning, it's always just been doing everything. Um, I don't do as much freestyle now as I, I would like, but I still uh, I still really enjoy doing it and trying to pick it. Sorry, man, you were just breaking up a little bit in your answer there, but uh, I think you were saying that you, you've done everything the kind of the whole time and it's been difficult to kind of kind of be focused on one uh, like aspect of, of whitewater kayaking. Yeah, yeah, I kind of I kind of just like having everything, every every boat with me and just being able to do all the different kinds of kayaking. And I think it helps through, throughout different types of kayaking to get better and, and looking at it from a different perspective. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you 100% on that. Like when I was uh, younger, when I was about your age, actually when I was like 18, uh, where I grew up in Southwest London was, uh, I lived 10 minutes away probably from a, a little solemn spot called Shepparton, which is a really small, um, it's called a weir. It's like the out the outflow of this dam uh, or of a lock system, uh, which like this, how, how they like let water go up and down for the boats to go through. So we would paddle slalom like three nights a week. If the water was good, there was like a good freestyle spot about uh, 30 minutes away. So I, I too was doing kind of everything. And I think that's attributed, it kind of it sets you up to succeed really well, right? You got way better boat control skills, uh, like more accurate boat control skills, your river reading skills, are like improving all the time just through that repetition of slalom, right? Because even though you're in the same piece of white water, just by moving those poles fractionally um it, it changes the experience a lot right do you think that that kind of um set you up really well to succeed for your some of the creaking that you've gone on to do yeah i think so i think having that ability and that confidence to put your boat where where it needs to go um can help you so much in creaking because creaking is 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 finding a line and then hitting that line so in slalom when you're practicing making sure your boat's in that 
in that right position, it's, it's a lot easier going over into a creek boat and just making sure you can hit that line. Definitely. I think a lot, a lot of people kind of step on slalom because it's, it seems like sometimes you're almost, you're on flat water or you're on the, the smallest ripples. Um, but it sets you up so well to succeed down the line or it set me up very well to succeed. And it looks like it's setting you up very well to succeed too. And I know you've gone on to be pretty competitive with your slalom. Uh, so let's kind of fast forward the clock a little bit. We've been talking about you as a, as a youth, but let's talk about your slalom racing now. Like, um, or actually, you know, stop for a second, rewind. What's the slalom scene like in the U S like where I grew up in England, there's like this really structured tier system of racing uh, where there's like different divisions and you get promoted at what, you know, once you win a certain amount of races or you, uh, you know, podium a certain number of races, you get ranked in a point system and you can promote gradually um, over time. Is it similar in the U S it's actually quite different in the U S so most of Europe slalom is really big and there's a lot of different athletes in every country and it's quite difficult to make the team, but in the U S slalom is, a lot smaller and we still have really good athletes that are making finals but like our the number of our of our field in the u.s is a lot smaller we have about six um like athletes who are top tier and then about that sorry someone just knocked on my door uh go ahead man we can take a pause you're good um, buddy yeah so sorry we were talking about uh like the differences between slalom and uh in the u.s versus like europe and the uk right 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 um yeah so in the u.s there aren't as many athletes but there are still some top tier athletes just not as many really how many races like per season are there like domestically in the u.s so in usually there's a team trials in the springtime and at some point a nationals um last summer or last year it was in the summer so normally about two big big races nationally and then there's some smaller local local races so like for instance our club has i think about three or four just local races per year and i think a couple other clubs host local races as well so um there's some there's some races if you want to go to them okay so it's out there but it's it's not as structured you've got to kind of seek it out a bit more yeah exactly well okay that's very interesting for me because um like it's really centralized in you know, the uk system is uh it's pretty easy to hop in hop out of you know and, and there's like a similar idea of like local races but it goes on a it adds to like a national ranking scheme which is is pretty neat um so it's crazy that the us as you say like this is still a successful slalom nation like there's uh, athletes who are you know in the world championships and making finals but without the back the backing of like a big uh like domestic organization yeah, you got to put in a lot more work behind the scenes to be really competitive in the U.S. And I guess being on the U.S. team in throughout the world. And then so what we were going on to talk about there was uh, where you're at with Salem right now, because obviously you were racing a lot when you were a kid. Like, what, what, where are you, what are you doing with Salem right now? I know you're racing a lot, but why don't you just fill people in on yeah. uh, some of the races you or some of the things you've been doing with Salem since uh, yeah, so you know, being a little summer, old. Yeah, so this past summer was a really big year for me in Salem. I did. My biggest race was the Junior World Championships, um, where I placed 11th, just missing finals. I missed finals by 0 0.02 seconds, or maybe 0.2 seconds, I think it was. It was, like, very close. Um, and I just had a, a few touches that messed me up there. But then I also did a bunch of other races, European Cup races, where 
I finished top three in most of them. I won a few of them. And those are kind of just like junior races. They normally have most of the top junior athletes in, in Europe, but obviously it's not as competitive as, as the world championships. And then at the end of the summer, I did some of the senior races. I got a chance to be on the senior team. I was the fourth spot at team trials and one of the athletes wasn't competing. So I got to step up for the second half of the season. And I competed in two senior world cups, which is a really crazy experience for me. Just my first two senior world cups, seeing all the athletes. Um, and it was, it was crazy. It's a really, really great experience there. Um, what was the great what was the craziest thing about it because obviously you're on the you're literally on a start line against a bunch of people who are like just coming off the olympics and uh yeah, exactly. we're like right at the, the you're 18 years old like i can't imagine can you fill in like how does it feel to like sit in the starting pool uh warming up with a bunch of people who are like just off the olympics or you, you know have been multiple olympians it was a crazy atmosphere there like there were just some insane athletes that i've only seen on you know, on the, on the TV or on, on YouTube, just in races previously. And it's crazy just to like actually go there and then I'm warming up and Peter Kaus is warming up right next to me or something like that. It's crazy. And same with when you're training, because normally you get put in training slots with a different country. And like, for example, we were with the Slovenians at, at senior worlds and it was training with Kine and some crazy athletes. So it was, it was really, it was really cool just being there. Like, for my first time now it's it won't be as surprising the second time but it's all your first time there meeting all those athletes it's always it's always crazy it's just like, did you have any heavy like fanboy moments like oh my god i definitely so my first time i saw kowser and my first time i saw yuri was it was i was always i was just kind of like oh my god like freaking out inside like trying not to make a scene and evie was making fun of me it was pretty funny but um yeah i don't know it was i was just like did you manage to play it cool? Like play it off like, oh, yeah, yo. yeah, of course. You know, I was, I was keeping it calm, keeping it contained. But <laughs> yeah, I can't. I honestly can't imagine what it might. What like, well, I've got a rough idea of what it's like to, you know, to to see a bunch of people on videos and then to meet them in person. Like, uh, but to to be yeah. to be that combined with oh, and also I'm at this, it, basically the top level event in slalom right like it's crazy that that is yeah uh, pretty like, it must be pretty special with exactly yeah exactly man you're like you're pretty much right there and you know yeah that's that's pretty intense um and so are you hoping to go to the olympics with that like what's your what's your future with that look like yeah so right now i'm, I'm pushing pretty hard for 2024 in paris um but i want to do that with all this other kayaking i've I'm kind of doing right now i've kind of made a decision that like yes is definitely something i want to do but if it requires me to to kind of stop my other kayaking i'm, I'm not willing to go that far i guess but I'm, I'm 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 right now training pretty pretty regularly and consistently at home and able to like paddle in the fall so it's right now it's kind of working out being able to do everything so i'm pretty excited about that um, so this so last last sorry sorry to cut you off man but last year you went yeah. from a uh, uh, two massive like almost the highest level slalom competitions there are and then you went straight down to mexico or almost it felt like straight down to mexico to do uh back wheel off of tomato one uh, sorry back free wheel off tomato one back free wheel off of twisted pleasure which i don't think anyone's done before and cobra flip on uh, side chick which i don't know if anyone's done before for people who are not following along with what we're talking about right now it's like down river freestyle kayaking right so doing 
doing moves, doing freestyle moves as you go downstream. But you somehow had this creative idea to to do those down 60 foot waterfalls or 40 foot waterfalls, respectively. What uh, possessed you to do that? Like, what bet did you have to lose to do that? Well, I guess for me, like, I've been doing so much freestyle at smaller drops throughout the whole year, just living on the Potomac. Um, the the downward free, freestyle potential of Great Falls is just crazy. Um, and especially of the right crew, you can just push push limits. And the more that I like, I got better, and the more that I realized that yeah, these limits that might have been, you know, unthinkable, now, like now they're actually, you know, they're in reach. And thinking about that all year and really just kind of putting into my mind how the trick's going to go and all that just gave me the confidence. And I had the, uh, the confidence, my abilities to pull off the trick. And then from there, it's just dealing with your fears and, and actually executing it and executing the skills that you know, and, and you get to celebrate at the bottom. <laughs> so let, let's talk about one in particular. Um, there's you, you had a, you were on a tear, like an absolute, and if people don't know, they can go back and look at your Instagram. It's, it's, you were on a, an absolute tear on that Mexico trip. But the one that stood out to me was the Twisted Pleasure um, back free will. And that's, uh, I've run that that waterfall at way back in 2011. Um, mm-hmm. So when you were like seven years old or something. And I remember it was scary. And I remember like just, I had a good line. I remember uh, Joel had a, uh, almost a very bad line uh like right at the entrance there it's like the, one of the hardest entrances to a, a big waterfall uh certainly that i've run uh not that there is but it definitely is a, a challenging entrance maneuver what how did you get the fear like obviously you, you know you're going to pull it off but how did you you what was your self-talk to get yourself to be like okay i'm going to go for it you know it's it's really hard and like when you're above a big drop to actually calm yourself down and, and get yourself in a place where you can perform at your best. And it's something I've been dealing with for a while as I've been doing competition since, you know, I was, you know, 10 or 12 years old. And it's, it's really just coming down to accepting the fear and kind of just putting it aside for when you're, when you're actually kayaking. And sometimes it takes, you know, just a second sitting there in the eddy, just kind of talking to yourself, just calming yourself down or taking a deep breath. I know, my back wheel on Tomato One, I was so scared. And normally I'm pretty good about getting myself calmed down before the drop, before I peel out of the eddy. But for some reason I just couldn't. And I took a nice deep breath about five seconds before the lip. And that's when I just kind of calmed down and I was able to just pull off the trick. When you're, when you're having these moments of like self-talk, what do you say to yourself? It's, it's really more just, I kind of feel this this weird stress because you really kind of like get into your head a little. And I, I really just try to kind of breathe, just say that I'm fine. I, I know what I'm doing. Just kind of talk through what I'm about to do in my head, kind of distract myself a little from the fear of like what actually is going to happen. And just think about all I'm, like, all I'm thinking about is what I need to do when I go off the lip. Have you read uh, The Art of um, Rise of Superman by Stephen Kotler? I have not. It's a book about uh, flow state in extreme sports. Um, it's really, really interesting. I, I like, highly recommend it. But he talks about like uh, forcing yourself into that state that you're just talking about, where you all you're thinking about is what you've what you've got to do to achieve your goal, right? And if you haven't, if everyone should read it if they haven't read it and they like kayaking, because I think it's fascinating. But I want to try and pick in a little bit more about how how you are able to 
kind of calm down. And we've talked about some deep breaths, like right at the lip. We've talked about telling yourself um, what you've got to do. Are there any other like tactics that you use to help get, keep yourself um, in get to, to that kind of flow state, the zone? Yeah, I would say kind of just really understanding your fear is a really big, big thing that I, I think is really important in, in kayaking. And it's just understanding like the reason why you're scared of what you're about to do and, and be a little bit more logical about it. Because I think a lot of the times people are scared of things for no reason, or at least for, at least they're, that, that reason that they're scared of, it can be, it can be minimize the risk or something like that. So I think just understand, understanding why you're so scared is really important. And then you can go from there and, 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 figure out ways that best can can help you, you know, do the thing that you want to do. And another thing I think people struggle with is is fighting your fear because it's not something you can fight. At least for me, like when I'm doing solemn races, I get really scared before the race, normally about once. And it comes in like I'm not always sure when it when it's gonna come. It it'll come in maybe an hour before my race at some point. And it's it's really nice to just let that fear run its course. You know, you just gotta let it in, be scared for whatever, however much time, and then you let that run through, and then it's time to go. Can you can we uh, just go back to something you were saying a second ago? So you were talking about, um, you know, understanding like why you're scared of something, and could you maybe give an example um, of of that? Yeah, of course. So I think a great example is getting stuck in a hole that ends in a pool. And if it's not a big hole, there aren't any rocks around, there really isn't a logical reason to be scared of that. And I think a lot of people are scared of surfing big holes because it's a big water feature. It's powerful. It's scary. It has a lot of, you know, energy and power in there. You could, it's, 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 it's hard to, to really, you know, think about it when you're. Out paddling because then then it's easier to assess you know what's what you can logically be scared of or what doesn't make sense to be scared of. i i just lost you for a second there buddy but uh, i think you were just saying um about uh, people don't want to get surfed in a in a hole that ends in a pool and could you take us back from there yeah. sorry you just broke up yeah so i think you know some, some something a lot of people are scared of is getting surfed in in a big hole but if you kind of break that down and you and you practice getting surfed in holes where that isn't as dangerous, like if there's a big pool at the bottom where it doesn't really matter if you swim, I think it's a really great way of kind of you know, building up that self-confidence and really understanding what what is dangerous and what is scary and being able to look at that rapid differently. I love that. I think that's something that a lot of people um, really are fighting with when they're thinking about they can't articulate like what they're scared of right and then maybe it, it helps a lot to just say say the things out loud and then yeah. once you say it out loud it's almost like you're you're detaching from it so you're able to look at it from an outside point of view and be like at well now that i say it out loud that doesn't make sense at all um but to like kind of externalize that like internal dialogue is really a, a good tool i think that's really great something else you just said there was about um kind of iterative steps in your skills and abilities and you kind of touched on it earlier when we were talking about uh, the potential, like the, the downriver freestyle potential on, of Great Falls. So of your like local class four, class five uh, white, uh, waterfalls. Can yeah. you talk about some of the steps you've been taking 
that that built up to uh you know like 60 foot back free will yeah so i think for me it's i'm always trying to think about how tricks work i think i think about rapids a lot differently than most people at least just when i'm talking about rapids with people it seems like i'm thinking about them a little bit differently um and i think the way i kind of like to look at it is just like breaking down the rapid you want to look at all, obviously all the different types of water and stuff like that but when I'm trying tricks, I want to know if I can get down safely if something goes wrong that I'm not really expected of. And I think on Tomato Tomato One, there was a, a great example of that. I did two back free wheels off that one. The first one, I hit my 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 uh, boat on the lip weird and was was still able to save my bow. Um, and I think it's really important to know that you can still save whatever goes wrong and having that 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 ability that skill to pull back whatever because you, you can't expect it to go wrong you just have to know that you're you can trust yourself to be able to deal with whatever is about to go wrong if if something goes wrong and a lot of times something doesn't go wrong but it's just having that, that skill to deal with that because then once you know you can do that it's a lot easier to try things because you're a lot less scared of really getting hurt and out on great falls there are some moves that could be dangerous potentially but the more the more you can try and the more you break down the moves, there are some that aren't as dangerous and you get better at the, the specific move you're trying to tr trying to work on or whatever. And you can kind of build up and try it on different things that maybe have a little bit more risk, but it's a better spot to try it. And I guess for me, the whole year was just working on back three wheels and kind of thinking about what would happen with an extra, you know, 40, 45 feet of air and kind of dealing with that and really like burning it into my mind about what I need to do halfway down to get my bow down and have a soft and safe landing. Yeah, that's so important, right? They're thinking about like what what you're doing and then how that's going to translate. Um, but I think it's it's really great the way that you just kind of described your build up to it was that you're taking these steps, you know, you're doing a back freewheel on like a five foot or a 10 foot or a 20 foot drop, you know, like one at a time and really getting mastery at that one level before you try it somewhere else. Uh, so that you know when you try at the next place, you, you can already do it pretty good um, oh, somewhere, you know, more safe and a bit smaller. Um, and I, I think a lot of people, uh, maybe because of social media, maybe not, but they feel like they have to rush into, you know, the, the, they do a step, but they're not like maybe the master of that step yet. So like, for example, just like descending a waterfall, right? Like people like run a five footer with a bad line and they're like, that was great. I can't wait to run a 10 footer. And it's like actually like it'd be better if you had perfect form on on this five footer before you know ten footer web before you moved on to a twenty footer like exactly and that's kind of how you have to go with with a lot of kayaking because if you're not really crushing those lines on easier on easier stuff that's when it can get really dangerous when you move to something bigger and harder absolutely and that kind of brings us back nicely to slalom right like if you if you're not crushing the lines with you know, basically almost flat water and, and not touching those gates. Like, how are you going to do it when the water's moving faster and the gates are harder? Exactly. And I think it's really important to recognize that and say to yourself, yeah, like, I'm not as comfortable in this type of water. And, and knowing that, because then you can push yourself in a way where it's safe and you can get better. And I think that's the fastest way to improve. I think it's the fastest way to improve, too. You're You're literally a living product of that, right? Like, you have done you're 18 now and you're like regularly paddling class five white water. You're regularly doing uh, downriver freestyle tricks that no one else has ever done. Um, or at least that I'm aware of. 
and that's that's a cool position to be in right yeah i think it's i mean it's it's really nice to to see the product i mean i know the work that i put in and and it's just really nice to see that it's it's paying off and it's it really does pay off if you put the work in so do you feel like a lot of responsibility now like a lot of uh, like younger kids like starting to look up to you and think like man i want to be like caleb one day i think maybe we're getting there but i don't know i uh I had this funny experience in the river today. I was up surfing ambush at the top here in Columbus, Georgia, and I was with Abby and the the lady who was surfing as well was like asked you know what Abby's name was and then she was like, Oh, I know you, you're famous. And it was just really weird to me. I'm just, I'm just not used to that at all. But I definitely remember a lot of people doing that today. And so it's it's just cool as I'm getting older, you know. Yeah, man, I think it, it's the the better you get and especially like the age that you're kind of growing up in is like you, you know, a lot of your kayaking has been on Instagram or on Facebook or whatever yeah. since since you were young. So there's been more and more people who will have seen you on the periphery of their feed, like more and more and more. And so that's kind of building a generation of kayakers who, uh, you know, it's cool like more people know who you are, but also it's important to recognize that like, hey, you're like, you're kind of a role model already, like you're 18 years old yeah. now. Like you kind of need to be thinking about like, hey, like, am I doing all this for the right reasons? Like, you know, is this still something I want to be doing? Like, does that weigh on you ever? I think, I think I definitely think about it a lot. <laughs> I definitely think about it a lot, but um, I always know why I'm doing these tricks. And I, it's always nice to know that even if there was a camera, a camera wasn't there on any of the, the times I was doing tricks on in Mexico, I would still go for it. Um, it's it's always hard to to differentiate like why you're doing these tricks, but I think if if you I think when you know why you're doing it, you know and 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 I think those that's when you know it's the right reason. Um, I'm so happy to hear you say that, Kalen. That's so that's so level-headed. Like it's a really a great thing. I hope more people can take that away with their kayaking. Is no matter what level you're at, like you you shouldn't just be doing it because somebody's filming you right exactly amen so let's go back to something i want to talk about um you mentioned you had a a world cup finish where you were 11th and you were 0 0.02 0 0.002 seconds away from making the finals yeah so that yeah that was junior worlds um and i had the fastest raw time i just had three touches so uh i basically even if i just didn't have one of those touches i would have made finals and had a chance to you know, become junior world champion in, in slalom, which I think definitely was, was attainable, but, uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't pan out. Something I say quite a lot is like, you either win or you learn. So what did you learn exactly. from that experience? So I definitely learned a lot with about the competition and kind of what my race strategy should be, I guess. Um, during that race, I, in, in heats, I kind of had a messy run. I was, my goal was kind of to slow down a little bit just because I, I really didn't need a fast run to make it through the, to the next round. I just needed a solid run. And that actually messed me up just because I wasn't used to um, paddling at that slower pace just because of all my training has been at a higher pace. So it's it's important to know the the circumstances that you're paddling because then, you know, if those circumstances are different, um, it might mess you up a little. And then in, in semifinals, I was on a good run. I just, I guess I wasn't a few unlucky touches i wasn't as aware of where my bow was as i should have been and um it just kept me out of the final but 
I was still pretty happy with the runs. I, I put down some fast times. So how has that outcome affected your training? It's it's kind of just made me more more uh motivated, I guess, in a way. I, I wanna I really think about, you know, touching the gates in training now and I, I try to make it throughout throughout the whole session without touching a single gate and it's just kind of something that I'm working on now. You know, it's something that I recognize that this is a problem. This kept me from a chance to win worlds and something that I'm gonna work on in pitch. When uh, this is going way back and definitely not the same level that you're at, but when I was I started racing, I was like the messiest. I was like I could go through a run like a twenty gate run and touch like fourteen gates. Uh, you know, it was like difficult for the people who are racing after me uh, at some races I was at. Uh, probably like in my first season or my second season, and uh, the guys I used to train with also were like, "All right, dude, come on, you like." you're fast but this is holding you back a lot and so we uh for like a whole summer uh every time i had a touch i had to do 10 push-ups and um so i was getting real good at push-ups uh until the end of the summer by the time i figured out um just that that i don't know half stroke a minute or it feels like half stroke a minute but it's actually a few strokes a minute less uh reps uh you know and just just keeping that cadence a little lower and having a way smoother run and you know, an improvement for sure. Definitely still, I was never good enough to go to uh premier division, which is like the top division in England. But um, yeah, it was, it took me a while to, to unlearn, uh, you know, being as fast as possible um, at the yeah. expense of those touches, right? Cause they do, you know, two seconds a touch racks up pretty quick. Oh yeah. Those, those can kill you for sure. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. All right. Let's talk about something else in slalom. Let's talk about uh, extreme slalom or boat across racing or the, yeah. the, the plastic uh, downriver format that they, that the slalom committee is trying to get into the Olympics. Can you run us through people who ha have not been following uh, this development of the sport? Like what is extreme slalom and you're the world champion at it. So why don't you give us a run through of how that occurred? Yeah. So extreme slalom is basically uh, a slalom race with four people on the course at once. They're in, plastic boats uh, up to nine feet. Um, and there's a, a course with, I think, two sets of upstream gates and a few downstream gates. And you, you go off the ramp at the same time, and it's the first two down qualify for the next round, basically. It's pretty simple. Um, you just kind of go down, you bump, you, you bump your way down, and you have to do the course. If you miss a gate, you get disqualified. Um, if you hit someone in the face or there's some some contact rules, but it's it's honestly pretty confusing about the contact rules specifically. But basically, you just can't really hurt somebody, you know, obviously in in the all that stuff. But uh, it's it's a really fun kind of way. It's it's at the end of the slalom races, and it's it's honestly just a, a really fun way to just kind of charge in, in plastic boats with a lot of your you know friends, your competitors, you know, at the end of the race, and it's and it's really fun too. And uh, they, I think the uh, IOC is like looking at this for a potential, like another kayak event in, in future Olympics is, uh, yeah, do you know anything so, about that? Yeah. So it is a, an Olympic sport in 2024. So yeah, it'll be in Paris in, yeah, in three years or two years. So are you targeting that in addition to uh, like men's K1? Yeah, I definitely am. I think, unfortunately, you might have to make men's kayak team. So being the top in, in the nation to do both i think they might just send one athlete and have them do both but i'm not that totally seems kind sure of dumb. how it works yet yeah 
they're basically trying to expand, you know, add another sport without adding athletes. Um, so. That seems kind of dumb because it, it seems like you kind of almost want people who are specialists in uh, motocross racing. Oh, for sure. It's a definitely a different sport. Um, I think a lot of the reason why I'm good at it is just because of how aggressive I am in plastic boats just from, you know, doing a lot of creaking. So I think it's really it's, it's really a different skill. Something really interesting that uh, you said just a minute ago was that, uh, you know, you're the world champion of, of uh, this extreme slalom uh, format that they have there. Uh, but you're unclear on some of the rules. Yeah, it's 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 not really well written out, um, like the sport, I guess, like the, you know, the rules of the sport. A lot like there's a few rules for, that are just a little unclear, but most of it is is pretty kind of. It's pretty self-explanatory, I guess. Um, but I, I do wish that they, they, they put a, few, a little bit more time into kind of fixing all the little little uh, things that make it a little weird sometimes. Like, for example, you can't do any protests, so they can just kind of disqualify you for and basically anything that they deem is inappropriate for the you know event. If, if you hit someone or if you look like you're charging at someone and hitting their body or whatever, they can disqualify you and you and you really can't say anything, um, unlike the other Psalm events where you can inquire and you can protest if, against penalties you, you get. So, Yeah, it seems like rubbing's racing, you know, like especially in that format, you, you kind of want people to be like right next to each other because that will yeah, also make exactly. it exciting. So um, were you following, I know EJ uh, qualified for the Extreme Solemn team uh, and did some Euro races this year and then yeah. had, um, they had a time trial format, which was i thought was kind of foolish and then i think he got uh knocked out like kind of early and he had a pretty long like facebook post about like so kind of some of the same things you're saying like unclear rules and you know some structure improvements that are badly needed um to yeah. take the sport into being like better uh what are you were you following any of that and what do you think about it yeah i was i was with ej for a, a few of the races you know at the end of the season um i did two of the world cups with him and i guess he was just there for world championships so I, I did the two world cups and then i went to senior worlds where he was there and um yeah it it he he, he uh had a great time racing he just you know a lot of the rules kind of like what i was saying before they just weren't really as clear as they should be for for an event at this you know if you're calling it a world championships i feel like it should be a little bit more um thought through but um i think ej was saying that he did get some progress talking with them they they they're all listening to him so hopefully there should be some improvements by the time it happens in 2024 in the olympics and when you uh, when you won that uh, world championship race for the extreme the uh prestigious title of extreme solemn world champion uh, what uh, boat were you paddling i was paddling a ripper is that the like the boat of choice for that race is that what everyone paddles a lot of people either paddle a ripper or a chili um basically a, a fast half slice is a, is a is kind of the desired boat for that race you want to be able to turn really quickly but also have good acceleration and kind of be, be quick in a, in a straight line did you see that ej's company is uh like gonna make a plastic boat specifically for that, that event yeah what do you think I about it? talking about that in uh, at worlds back in back in when i was in europe and uh yeah it's cool to see the cad and i, I think it's gonna be interesting i'm, I'm curious about you know what the the boat's going to look like in person i think it's really really hard to to balance having the bow narrow enough to be able to take really really vertical and strong strokes i think i really like the chili because of how narrow the bow is i'm able to take 
strokes almost like it's my slalom boat. However, with the with the narrow bow, it doesn't stay on top of the water as well in, in the in the waves and in the white water. So it's it's really about finding that balance to to for that fast boat. It seems like a lot of companies are making boats for this now, and and it seems like there'll be a lot more choices. So I'm curious to see what people use. Yeah, I mean, I'm very curious to see um, you know what EJ is going to bring to market with a uh, because you know his his uh, his stated goal obviously is to you know have a, a boat that's competitive for that race. And if you've been following EJ for his whole career, you know that the one thing he's never won is an Olympics. And this is a route that he could take to, to feasibly um, you know achieve that goal. Um, so I'm interested to see if if that's where he's he's going towards with a, a very like a hyper competitive boat, and if there'll be like various versions of it. Yeah, yeah, I'm really curious to see what he's got in mind. I think it'll be a cool boat either way. Yeah, I'm excited about it for sure. Um, what else did I want to talk to you about? We've talked about slalom. We've talked about extreme slalom because you're the uh, the world champion. We've talked about your ridiculous tear in Mexico. Uh, what's next for you, Kalen? So I'm going to be at home for most of the spring doing a lot of slalom and just kind of usually during the spring and winter, I'm, I'm kind of usually at home doing school and just kind of training. Um, and then I'll go to Europe in the summer, do a lot of slalom races out there. And this summer I did some creaking races, so I'm hoping to do more of that as well. And then come back to the States kind of early fall. Um, there's some longboat races that I did this year. I did uh, the, the uh, green race and the Russell Fork race. I, I definitely want to get back on those fronts. And I kind of want to know the course a little bit better. Hopefully I have some better results this year. And then I want to do another waterfall trip at the end of the year. I have some more ideas. I think Mexico or Chile oh, could be sick. And boy. Then, uh, uh, maybe Zambia, Zambia, like early January, if, if that comes together. But we'll see, you know. I have yeah, all I the think, things I want to do, and then we kind of have to just piece it in as the year goes on. It's going to be exciting to see what your other ideas are and, and how they come to fruition. I think this has been uh, super great for people to kind of think a bit more carefully about what they're thinking about and and you know saying saying their thoughts out loud and how that's going to help them in the future. So uh, I think they'll really appreciate your help on on that one, Kalen. Um, where can people find you on the gram on uh, social medias? Yeah, so. I think you're searching my name and any of the social media, like Instagram, Facebook, um, YouTube, just Kalen Kayak, um, or even I think if you just search my full name, but it's, I have a long last name. So I, just Kalen Kayak you should find me on Facebook, Instagram. And that's K-A-E-L-I-N, right? Yep, K-A-E-L-I-N-K-A-Y-A-K. Kalen Kayak, my man. All right. Um, we talked about some good stuff. I am very excited to see what the future holds for you, uh, Kalen. Uh, this has been Questions You Never Thought to Ask, the Whitewater Kayaking Podcast. We will see you in a future episode. Peace. Thanks, Seth.